uh, essentially what it turns into is the strategy is annoy the many to convert a few. That is not a strategy. That is you misconstruing some hyped up guru shouting at you from a stage, telling you to hustle, turning that into how you run your business. And what you're leaving is the wake of destruction behind you. Mike, it's time for another show. It is. And you know what? Normally I would begin with banter. I would talk about the lack of baseball right now, but I am actually truly legitimately excited about the guests we have. So I want to make sure we have the maximum amount of time um, to to dig into his insights and, and his point of view. So, Jay, let me turn it over to you. Why don't you introduce yourself to everyone and let us know a little bit about you and how you got here? Yeah, thanks, Doug. I'm Jay Akunzo. I host a podcast called Unthinkable and create many other projects, but they all roll up to the one same mission that I serve, which is I want to help more people make what matters most whether that's to their careers or to their companies or to their communities. There's just, there's a lot of commodity stuff that people create and ship, like it's checking boxes. There's a lot of hucksters out there with big audiences telling you to do it their way. I want more people to create things, to, to, to make things that make a difference. Uh, and so I've made it my personal professional mission to try and help people do that through giving speeches, creating shows, writing books, writing blog posts, just being ever present on the internet to try and help others essentially increase the signal of that internet increase the signal of the internet well i thought i was don quixote chasing windmills um wow (laughs) if you can increase the signal on the internet then uh then you will have my um you know you you definitely will hit the uh we're not worthy stage of of wayne's world well you know what's so funny about that doug is uh your internet experience is very different than mine because the internet is just whatever you spend time consuming and so it doesn't matter like if you are into marketing and I am in the market and we are probably consuming very different. So you're not going to change the whole internet, but if I help individual creators who are contributing, you know, they're the top 1% of all internet users. If you look at a pyramid, if I help those creators resonate more deeply with their audience and bring a sense of service to what they're creating and genuinely have something interesting to say, because they know the craft and they're better at the craft and they bet on the craft instead of some algorithmic hack that some huckster sold them, then to everybody who follows and appreciates that creator, the signal of the internet has increased, right? So there's, there's not really an internet. There's just your experience of it. It's the signal of your internet. Mm -hmm. Oh, I like that. I like that. Um, so we're in the creator economy, right? That's what I read at least. Yeah, someone told me that. How, how does this strike you? And this is kind of, this is a little bit of what I was getting at. Um, as it's become easier and easier and easier to create, the amount of noise of, of just, I mean, just crap that's out there and, and how, you know, what, what, what's the old saying that, you know, a lie's been around the world twice before the truth's gotten up and tied its shoes or, or something like that. And, and if you, you know, if you think about the, you know, I think the LinkedIn algorithm is, is, is the bane for me right now. <laughs> like it's so much easier to game the LinkedIn algorithm with crap than it is with, with truth. So like, and, and I have a theory that says the easier it is to do something, the greater the preponderance of crap that you'll experience. And therefore the more noise that, that, that will be there naturally to separate that. So I'm curious, A, does that fit for what you're seeing? And if it doesn't, I'd love to know that. And B, if that is true, how do you work with people? How do you navigate that? Yeah. You know, it's an interesting point. I feel like we, we try to make sense of these giant 
systems and vagaries, but that's not how the world unfolds. Like I said before, it's like, uh, uh, is the internet creating more noise? Yeah, sure. Uh, is the internet creating more amazing art? Also, yes. Uh, I, I, I don't think we're, we shouldn't try to boil the ocean and no matter what we're trying to do with that ocean, if we're trying to help people get clean water or we're trying to drown people in it. It's like, we're just doing something that it's almost like not even worth doing, which is like, what is business up to today? I, I don't know. Like, let's get specific here. What we're really talking about here is I think individual creators up to giant teams of creative people, whether that's marketing or sales or whatever, um, are living in an era where it's become very apparent that reach, growing reach, growing audience is learnable. What is not so apparent is that increasing resonance is also learnable. And I sort of consider myself an arms dealer for creative scrappers who have good intention, who want to invest in creating something that their audience truly loves, that has a real impact. They're not just trying to like coerce their way into someone's life and sell them a widget and move on. They're trying to help people. They're trying to solve problems. How do we equip those individuals to stand out, connect with people, build an audience that has real affinity? Because that's the goal. Awareness is actually a proxy for what we really want, which is affinity. It's like, if you say your goal for this campaign is awareness, that's a very dangerous thing because what you're saying is we assume that if only more people were aware, if only people knew my show existed, if only a million people were told of my greatness, they'd love it. I just well, need to go to China. How about focusing on the actual, they love it part? Because what a funny thing happens when you focus more on affinity and learn to resonate is the reach either becomes easier if you are trying to go outbound to total strangers, which I would argue is inefficient and expensive, or it takes care of itself because all these passionate people that already know, like, and trust you go even deeper with you and love you so damn much that they refer you to other people and bring them to you for free. So I think what we're talking about here is we need to realize that depth of connection, that sparking action is where results come from and is just as learnable as all the spammers out there on Twitter telling you they grew their audience in six days, 300% and you can too. So what I'm hearing, like what's just going through my head this entire time that you've been talking is the long tail. Are you familiar with okay. what I mean by, with, right? Is, it, say more, yeah, say more. So, so I, I guess, you know, so reach is the byproduct of good content of, of good creation, whatever you're doing, it shouldn't be the objective, right? Resonate, you know, at, and as people love, as you, as you bring real true value, that word will spread the right people, you know, that, that's the organic build of reach. Um, and, and so, you know, the long tail for those of the, for anyone that's not familiar with the long tail is, you know, historically we think about hits, hits, hits. And then as the internet came in, because, basically the cost of storage is, is basically zero. You have all these independent creators and this was, the study was done on the music industry, but, but how, you know, it kind of flipped where you used to make money on your record contract because cost of distribution. And now you made money on, on your following. And it was actually, yes, the very small percentage of people at, at the, you know, you know, where the big, big hits were, they were obviously okay, but how in the long tail individually, the audience wasn't huge, but it was dedicated. And it was, it was in essence, their audience. And, and when people pursue hits, that's where they get into trouble for, for lack of a better. I am far less interested in 
creating more one-off spikes in the line. And I'm far more interested in how you arc the shape of that entire line in the right direction. That, that to me, you know, a friend of mine likes to say, it, we optimize for the, the height of the, the peaks. And what we should be really concerned with is the depths of the valleys. And, you know, that to me is how you build a business where your effort compounds, where your return compounds. A lot of marketing and sales feels like you're digging holes in dry sand, where it's brute force, hustle-based effort. And as soon as you stop, you're worried that the walls are going to cave in on you because it probably will, right? And we see this at the absolute worst looking like direct spam, right? So I'm going to DM a million people and sell. Essentially what it turns into is the strategy is annoy the many to convert a few. That is not a strategy. That is you misconstruing some hyped up guru shouting at you from a stage, telling you to hustle, turning that into how you run your business. And what you're leaving is the wake of destruction behind you. So sure, good on you. You sold five people today. You also annoyed the hell out of 500 people. Do you think they want to hear from you ever again? Do you think they're going to tell their friends anything good about you? No, just the opposite. If you were really bad, they're going to tell people to steer clear. So what we're doing here is we're optimizing for the wrong things. We're optimizing for a one-off spike. That's not sustainable. That's not a strategy. What would it take to arch the line up into the right in a systemic way that instead of digging a hole in dry sand, more of what we do actually sticks and the results compound? Well, for my money, you know, the analogy might be in the house, in the, in the, in the architecture world, you want a strong foundation to build up higher, right? Most people are selling McMansions. So what they're, what they're selling you is, I'm going to tell you how to build more and more stories on this giant business. And what we should be focused on is how do I create the strongest possible foundation so I can build as high as I want without this collapsing? How do I create something that is so deeply resonant with my audience that they declare not you're the biggest or the best, but you're my favorite? Because people are irrational. People are emotional. And we want to be the object of their irrational bias such that their friend could say to them, why are you listening to this podcast about marketing and sales? This is the number one rank show. I listen to that. You should too. And they go, nah, it doesn't matter. Cause actually I love listening to Doug. He's my favorite host. I, I prefer, that's my favorite thing. That is defensible. You become finally, irreplaceable. Finally, someone gets it. Someone finally gets it. Yeah. Um, and this is what I tell friends all the time, Doug, go listen to that show is my favorite show. Right. But exactly. point being, I, 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 I love that. I love the comment, and I'm actually going to steal this one from you. Annoy the many to convert the few. Like that is, unfortunately, the world that most businesses—I shouldn't say most—a lot of businesses live with it. Yes, and and it's very simple. Reach is the problem. We're optimizing for that because yep. reach is how many see it. Reach is taking marketing and turning that entire philosophy of what should be generous service to the audience and creating real value for them today. And it's turning it into one idea, get in front of people. Getting in front of people is not marketing. Marketing is about resonance, which is not about how many see it. It's about how much they care. We're all in the make them care business. We're all in the spark action from them business because if they don't care and they don't act, we don't get results. And so it blows my mind that what I say are things like resonance. And some people go, hell yeah, brother. And some people go, ah, eh, that sounds like fluffy artistic stuff. And I'm a cold, hard capitalist. And what I'm saying back to them is actually, if you really truly care about growing a business and increasing the lifetime value of your customers, lowering your acquisition costs, these cold, hard capitalistic terms, you are in the resonance business because you are in the action business without action, no results. So let's, and I love that. And let's, let's turn this around a little bit to one of your recent podcasts, because it was one of the, uh, you hooked me 
on that podcast. And I've listened <laughs> to a few more since Thanks. then. Thank and you. it was the one around when you had the founder of the Savannah, uh, Savannah Bananas on. Legendary. And yeah. I was just absolutely floored and fascinated. And he said, look, for the folks that are, and Doug and I are both huge baseball fans, for the baseball naturalists, this might not be the thing for them. But, I mean, I'm paraphrasing here, but we're going to go change a little bit of the game. Um, and I was actually watching a TV show or a show on Netflix the other day, and the guy had a, banana, a Savannah banana shirt on, and uh, it was uh, it was it was pretty awesome. So I, I like turn turn a little bit of this around onto what you learned from from that conversation, so that people kind of understand. Sure. I mean, the Savannah Bananas is essentially, it's almost like they're the, 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 the PT Barnum, Barnum and Bailey circus of, of baseball in many ways. And some people write that off as gimmicky and it's just become the way they are is to, to make the, the game more fan centric, you know, and some of it looks like reinventing the sport, like walks are boring. We're going to turn them into runs. You can take as many bases as you want. And the, the, the defense has to matter. Um, you know, if, if you catch a foul ball as a fan that counts as an out, this is a very specific style of exhibition baseball they're playing with. You cannot step out of the batter's box. It slows down the game. No mound visits from your coach to talk to the pitcher. If you want to coach them, coach from the dugout. They do all these things, some of which sounds gimmicky, some of which sounds smart, that is trying to push baseball to become more entertaining and more fan-centric. Unfortunately, baseball is making more money than it ever is, ever has, but the games are slowing down and young fans are just not interested there's no personalities. The player personalities aren't pushed the way it is in basketball, NFL, et cetera, which breaks my heart because I started as a sports writer. I wrote my senior thesis in college about baseball in American literature. I'm a huge Yankees fan. I get oh. romantic about that sport. Oh, 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 yep. I lost us there. Mm -hmm. Why? Okay, let's go around the horn. Let's go. Doug, who's your team? Uh, Washington Nationals. Okay, keep going, Mike. Nationals, uh, but uh, I started as a Red Sox fan because that's where my dad was from. Okay, see, I, I can res I can respect the Red Sox. I dislike, but I can respect the Red Sox thing. And then along comes a Mets fan, and you just tap them on the head. Aren't you cute? You send the Mets fan on their way. I don't know what to do with a Nationals fan, unfortunately. Well, so uh, I grew up an Orioles fan. Um, I grew up the Orioles way. And actually, when we were kids, this is a legitimately funny story. We decided you know, whoever, you know, we had our favorite team. It was the American league or the national league. And we decided, well, you have to have a favorite American league team and a favorite national league team. So I didn't know who to root for, for the nationals. I was a catcher and yeah. Gary Carter was the catcher for the Montreal Expos. So I became an Expos fan Love it. Uh, and the Expos became the national. So I can actually say I'm a lifelong nationals fan, even though, you know, they only came, uh, I think it was 2005. Um, but I, you know, grew up an Orioles fan. So that's the, hence the distaste Oof. for Yep. I want to ask you something on, on, on Savannah bananas and we sure. could, Lord knows we could do an entire podcast on, on what's going an on. Unbelievable with the game story. But are they trying to push baseball or are they trying to create something that's different from baseball? They, well, that's a really good question. I think fundamentally it comes down to who you're asking. If you're asking a baseball traditionalist, then they say they're, they're trying to create. So this, that's not baseball, right? With a capital B is what a traditionalist might say. Uh, what they're, what Jesse Cole, the owner is saying is he, you know, he grew up as a, a top rated college prospect until he blew mm -hmm. out his shoulder. He, you know, he's romantic about the sport the way a lot of us are. He has utmost reverence for the sport. He wants to save it. He's saying okay. we, we need to be more fan centric. So I think yeah, he's, I agree he's working within the confines of the sport. Not, that's the wrong way to say it. He wants to save the sport. A lot of people think they're ruining the sport, but what it comes down to is, and I talked to a friend of mine earlier today who runs a marketing community group about creating content. It's for content marketers. And it's the same problem he faces. Jesse Cole is owning it 
my friend is shying away from it, where when you stand for something, when you have this like binding belief, some people go fuck yes, and some people go fuck no. And the problem is a lot of businesses don't realize, a lot of companies, sales, marketers, executives get on board when you say stuff like stand for something, right? Be a specific, be a meaningful, specific, not a vague generality. Have a brand story, have a coherent mission. It's easy to get on board with that stuff. What's not so easy is then you have to make actual real business changes. So my buddy who runs a community group, when he stands for the fact that his favorite phrase is good content gets found and some marketers go F yes and some marketers go F you, if he stood by that, what he has to get out of is the business of running $10 memberships through Patreon for more and more marketers to just join for 10 bucks a month. What he has to get into the business of doing is going deeper with the people who are really all about that idea and finding different ways to monetize and different ways to help them and different products and different price points and all that stuff and increase the lifetime value of those members versus just get more members. And a lot of us in marketing and sales, although we don't sell ad space, we have come out of this weird period of time where we're being told to act like media companies. We have this mass media and also mass marketing, You know, the, the Don Draper approach looms large even still to, to marketing. We're not PNG. We're not selling commodity products. We're not selling to every single human on the planet. And I would argue those days are done. So what we're better off doing is going really deep with the right people and encouraging them to go deeper with us, but also go out to others and be this army of evangelists on our behalf, which is a really efficient, effective way to market because essentially you get customers for free and so, to get customers for free is to resonate deeper. So, so, so you hit on, you've hit on so many points and oh my gosh, there's like so many different places that I want to go, but you know, but it, na it, national stadium isn't one of the places I want to go. So let's just steer clear of that. We can go anywhere you want except there. Okay. Well, we'll see. Well, we'll, I'm sorry. Who, who, who's won a world series more recently? I can't, I would go to Camden yards. I'd go to Camden. That's a beautiful ballpark. Despite the team, you know, it's not as beautiful as it used to be, but I, and, and yes, nationals park, isn't anything special, but, um, I, I, I like this. I like this. Um, so, so it, it's been interesting because I've, I've actually had several conversations with clients on this recently about the fact that, you know, foundationally and, and people forget that strategy is really all about making a choice and, and, and as you were saying, the yes part of the choice, that's easy. And it, and it feels right and you feel really good doing it. But if you're only saying the yes part, then you haven't really made a choice. You got to take the no part too. Yes. And that's the scary piece. Well said. Um, if I can't say fuck no, then I can't say fuck yes. If I can't say I hate you, if I can't say I radically disagree with you, then no one can say, oh my God, this is what I've been waiting for. Oh my, right. And, and. You know, I was talking about the fact, you know, the whole idea of a track is a metaphor, you know, it's using magnets as a metaphor, but they forget that a magnet's attractability is only as strong as its repellability. Yes. A magnet's pull is equal parts attract right. and repel. Right. And so if you're not repelling, I mean, you know, I do ideal client profiles all the time. And, and one of the things I emphasize is, look. I'm not actually that worried about how clearly you define who is your ideal client profile. I'm actually far more interested in let's clearly decide who is not your ideal client profile. Right. 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 And as opposed to, and, and I also point out, by the way, the people who are not part of that is they are potentially very profitable customers, right? It's easy to say no to the people who would never be profitable, but to realize we, you know, we appeal to high value premium offers. 
right? And I go, oh, okay, well then this company would not be your ideal client profile. And it was one of the largest producers, you know, they're a contract manufacturer, one of the largest producers and like, oh my God, we can't say they're not one of our best, we can't say they're not an ideal customer. And I'm like, well, you can't have it both ways, right? You, uh, you can't yeah. be premium and, right. do you agree I, with that? I, I kind of, I, I love where you're going with it. The, the one, the one, I, the one point I want to pull out and examine a little further is this idea that they're potentially profitable customers. I think if you only look demographically, sure. It's like, you know, we, I, for example, I make podcasts and documentaries for B2B brands. And so I will develop the strategy, develop the show, develop the premise, oftentimes be around as a consultant when we go to production, sometimes even host them B2B brands. Okay. Well, demographically, Acme Inc. might be a B2B brand that looks the part of a very profitable customer for me. But Acme Inc. does not believe that they should be a premise-led show. They don't believe that story actually has a great place in a for-profit company. They don't believe what I believe about the craft, about the audience, about everything you've heard me say so far, right? Yep. So they're actually, they'd be very unprofitable because it would take me forever to close them if they ever did close. Or if I did remove my belief system from the website, and so they came in and eager to work with me, and I said, sure, great, yes. In other words, branding and story publicly on a website is a good source of friction. But if I remove that friction and close them, now every time I work with them, I know deep down, this is harder for me. I'm feeling. Uh, okay. We're, we're I'm saying feeling, we, we, are, we are absolutely saying the same thing. To totally, totally. I just want to make sure people listening know it's actually in your best interest to stand for something because you don't waste time, aka money, dealing with people that either never would have closed or if they did close, they're going to cause problems. And in my services business, problems looks like I'm drained of energy and I can't do this anymore. And then I show up to the product project that is aligned with the way I believe the world should work. And they are paying me good dollars to be my best self. And I'm worse because of this other client over here. So and, yeah. And if you're a larger company and you have your operations team, and if every time someone comes in, they're different and one's over here and one's over there, then your operations team is never going to create an experience that delights on a consistent basis because they don't know where to go. So, so I say the most important question for a business or any person that wants to develop reach can answer is who do you want to be a hero to? Hmm. How does that question strike you in terms of your, you know, I, I like it. I worry about what it does for the posture of how you present. Cause there is a lot of like self aggrandizing behavior in the business world. Um, you, you put yourself up on a pedestal as I am the hero, but I would say that when you phrase it like that, what it makes me think of is the way I like to phrase like a brand story, for example, or brand positioning is think of yourself as a guide on a journey where they want to reach a destination and you're raising your hand and saying where we're at is broken, this status quo, this current norm, I will not stand for it. I'm frustrated by something. Away in the distance, I see a mountain peak. That's the oh, vision dude. that we have for something better. I want to reach that, right? Now, here's the part where people have a problem. In between us and the mountain peak is this dense jungle. And I have no idea how to reach the mountain peak. But fortunately, I've picked up my machete and I've started hacking through the jungle. If you too think this is broken and that would be where we should go and it's better, come with us on this journey. Subscribe to the podcast, subscribe to the newsletter, come to the event series, become part of a movement larger than yourself. What most people do to push back against that is they're like, no, 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 no. We've already reached the mountain peak and we're telling others, come down this path. We've done it and you can too. And unfortunately, not only is that incredibly egotistical, but even worse for business, I think it lacks this invitation to become part of this, like this emotional participant 
in the transformation. So you're not really meeting people where they're at and marching them every step of the way to where you want them to be. So you should know that after they answer that question, I then explain to them that your customer is Luke Skywalker, you are Yoda. So <laughs> um, always make your customer Luke Skywalker, but Yoda, you know, Yoda was a hero to Luke Skywalker. He was not a hero to the Sith. Could he have been a Sith guide? I'm sure he could have, right? Making that choice of who do I want to be a hero to? So it's not just right. who can I satisfy their needs? Like, I know what I think about is who is my, I, I'll oftentimes use the bowling alley as an analogy. Who's my head pin? That's like, how can I be completely indispensable to this group that when they right. see me, it's like, and then that's going to make me magnetic to the groups that are similar to them, right? That's not going to be my only segment, but that's the segment that I think about. Yeah. And, it, and it prevents me from jumping to what looks like the low hanging fruit when something else right. comes along. I like this. Some people will say you don't have a story without an enemy. There's no story without an enemy. And I, I was going like to ask if you need an enemy. That's that's it. That's extreme. I mean, like, sure, fine. That does one way to tell a story. What you actually need is tension. Tension is what is is sort of the the carbon atom of or carbon element of storytelling. You know, just without carbon, you don't have life. Without tension, you don't have a story. And it's very simple. And like, we've been learning this since we were kids, but we forgot it. Like every nursery rhyme, there's some kind of tension. I mean, for God's sakes, look at any Disney or Pixar film, some parent dies like, right away. It's like, or there's a missing parent. And so there's always tension. There's always stakes. There's always questions on people's mind. And the reason people stick around with you, and that's where the good stuff happens, where they actually invest time with you, is because they want those questions answered. They want a, res a resolution to the tension. And when we tell a story, you can just break it down into what I just said in less metaphorical terms was status quo, tension, resolution, like status quo, this is broken, or this is what's been happening. Tension, here are all these questions. Why is it that way? What would be better, et cetera? Um, you know, or this new change has disrupted it and that's bad. Resolution, that's the mountain peak. That's the better way. We're on a journey to get there. By the way, we have a product or service that helps attain that resolution. We're not 100% of the resolution. We're a participant in this journey, just like you are. Correct. And we solve a percent of the problem. Yep. Yep. You know, it, it you know, there's so much into story. Um, are you familiar with Robert McKee? No. Oh, you would love Robert McKee. So, so Robert McKee, Robert McKee is the screenwriter's screenwriter. Um, he's, he, he has screenwriting and he's, he made his money doing screenwriting workshops, Spielberg, Lucas, et cetera. Um, a book you'd love it's old, but you'd love it is story. Um, he, he actually runs, start running workshops for businesses, you know, for, for the awesome. whole storytelling. Part. Oh, I wrote it down. Great. Um, but, but on the, you know, on the tension and conflict, it, it, you know, so like I, my answer is yes, there needs to be an enemy. I think the problem when you say enemy is we tend to personify or personalize enemy. And it kind of goes back to, you know, what I learned in my very, you know, in, in elementary school literature, you know, you got man versus man, man versus nature, man versus self, man, you know, and, you know, there's, there's certain story structure. There's only a limited number of story structures. Yeah. And like, by the way, one of my biggest enemies that I think people can, you know, it's just the status quo. Status quo. Right. That's what I was going to say. That's what I was going right. to say. It, For a lot it, of organizations, that's. And, and my point too, is like when you're, when you're, you know, when you're teaching that problem, it's not that you're wrong. It's the, it's not your fault. You're wrong. As a matter of fact, you know, the greatest story that was told that did that, that you're wrong, but it's not your fault was the matrix. The whole hmm. red pill, blue pill, right? It's not yeah. your fault that you think the world that works this way and you're working to your demise. Here is your opportunity to take 
Right. And, and when you look at that, what you realize is only a few people would actually be willing to take that journey. Right. And, right. and, and to see what that truth is. So I got, I got two questions that I want to, I want to dig into because it's sure. so deep. The first one is, which gets to this whole platitude element that I was talking about in the beginning. The truth is messy. And by the way, I think you do an amazing job at this. As a matter of fact, I'm probably going to reach out to you afterwards to <laughs> learn more about how you can help me on this. The truth sure. is always messy because it's yep. not, you know, it doesn't clean up into a nice set. It doesn't fit the specific block. There's always an exception. Key takeaways. Here you go. One, two, three, problem solved. No. Right. And where, no. whereas, you know, the, you know, the, the first two lines of the LinkedIn and, and, and there's almost, like you can, if you've done it enough, you can tell who are the people that have actually really done something and, and, and they're sharing experience and who are the people that are, you know, you know, kind of making it up, but it's so easy to, to give something that, that that's clear and concise. By the way, I used to pontificate a whole lot more like 10 years ago. I, I was great at telling people how they should raise kids until I had kids. Oh, right? oh boy. Right. And, and so how do it's so much easier to tell the lie because you can make the lie fit whatever narrative you want it to fit. How do you know, how does that person who is the creator, who does want to resonate, who has that impact and, you know, they suffer from the curse of knowledge. They've got, you know, you know, making that fit. Like, how do you translate from the, yeah, you're right. You know, so much it's really valuable, but you've got to deliver it in a way that it can be understood and consumed. Right. What are okay. the keys that make that happen? Sure. So an easy example, like a microcosm of, uh, could be years of work and years of communication is a keynote speech because a keynote speech is not a how to blueprint. It's a how to think it's supposed to help you see the world somehow differently. It appeals to a lot of people. It's a universal message in a way that feels very specific to every individual. It's, you know, that's been a big part of my career is, is keynote speaking. And it's funny because people come up to you and they go, wow, you're not from the HVAC industry, but you really hit the nail on the head of something very specific to my industry. And, you know, I'm like, the, the secret isn't speaking to people, <laughs> not speaking to HVAC. Um, it, when you give a keynote, one version of a keynote is you walk up on stage and you either try to burn it all down or change people quickly, try to spin their chairs really fast. And you go right to the idea. You might even go start with a problem, but you go to the problem first, or you go to your big idea first. In other words, instead of going A, B, C, D, et cetera, all the way to Z, you go A, J, K, L, Z. And so you miss a lot of stuff. And so people don't quite get on board with you as much. And it can be very painstaking because you just spent years working on this idea. And to you now, it's so obvious that, hey, you need to get on board with this idea, this approach, this methodology, what have you. But what it actually behooves you to do to resonate deeper, to spark action, is you align with them to start. And actually, this, this relates to the science of resonance. If I'm pushing you on a swing, you have a natural frequency. And the science of resonance says, if I match your frequency with my pushing, with my effort, if I match you at the right time, you will be amplified. You will go further, faster, higher, faster. If I push you too late, you're coming back to me, I'm slowing you down, or sorry, you're going forward and I miss you. If I push you too early, you're coming back to me and I stop you. So the science of resonance reveals it's an energy transfer. I'm trying to get you to spark. I'm trying to get you to act. I'm trying to amplify the way you think or feel. And that's why they people throw up their hands and go, yes, this, I feel so seen. Thank you. Speak in my language. Also, David, got to check this out. I've never listened to the show, but just read the description. It's going to be for you, right? That's what we want, right? On a keynote stage, you have to start by talking about the mountain peak, 
This is where we want to go. This is the goal we have. Yes? Great. When you're pitching someone, this is what you want, right? Great. If we don't do that, if we're not on the same page, standing shoulder to shoulder, understanding we're trying to get the same outcome, you're not going to listen. My message is not going to resonate. This is a mistake a lot of creatives make because they pitch their creative idea. What they need to be pitching is why their ideas should exist. Not what the idea is, but why it should exist. And what it is comes at the end because it almost doesn't matter. So you start with saying, this is our shared goal. I believe in this. We want this. Yes, great. And then they go, but aren't we already trying to get that? And you go, yes. And here's how we're coming at it, right? People go, yep, that's my reality. And then you go, aha, but here are all these problems with the way we're trying to achieve that goal. And some people go, oh my God, I'd never even realized. And others laugh and they elbow their buddy to the right and left in their seats. And they go, this guy gets my world. It sucks. The boss, right? Yeah. Right. Either way, you're aligned. You're like, okay, you're going where I want to go, Jay. You've clearly done your homework. You understand we're trying to get it already and it's insufficient. So what do we do now? And then you say, well, consider this instead, right? You want results. You don't want people to just know you exist. You want them to love your work. You want them to take action, be part of your audience, share you with everybody. They sing your praises everywhere they go and buy from you actively. That's what we want. We don't want to just exist, right? Okay, well, we're coming at it the wrong way. We're trying to get awareness. What we need is affinity. What we need is, was, is resonance and depth of connection. You need to stop trying to be bigger and better and start trying to be their favorite. But if I just started with that, if I miss the first few beats, you don't care. Or I speak to a small percentage of the audience. So you have to start with alignment. And that's what leads with ampli to amplification, which is what leads to action. Yeah, I call it vision, obstacle, transformation actions. Yeah. Mine was shared goal, status quo to reach it, problems with the status quo, right? Now we're super aligned. Now you're like, yep. I'm going with you anywhere you want to go, Jay. Cause like, yep. yes, you're on the same yep. page as me. And then yep. I can say, well, consider this thing you haven't considered before. And only then are you open to hearing the idea. Yeah. You know, it's funny. People think, people think that, you know, they save the best for last. Why, why is it worth it last? And, and I think what you're saying, and I would certainly agree with it, if this is what you're saying is, you know, that vision is, why is it worth it? Like, why is it worth it to listen to me? Why is it worth it to pay attention? And why is it worth it to engage? Yeah, def I call this the green smoothie problem. Cause like, if you've never seen a green smoothie, it looks kind of gross. And if all I did was hand you the smoothie in a glass and you'd never seen it before, you'd be like, gross, no thank you. Or you would like anchor to preconceived notions of what you saw made in your gym or a neon green drink your kid drinks. You'd start to basically do all the work that I didn't do of rationalizing why this should exist. Because I just said, like we often do with ideas, here's a green smoothie, you want to drink it? And it's far better instead to lay out my thinking, my the ingredients. And I say, hey, uh, you know, Mike, you told me last week you want to be healthy, but you believe that all these health foods are gross. So here's what I'm thinking. I took some kale, some mango, some pineapple, some banana, some apple, and some coconut oil. And I blended it up down the hall in our, our company blender. So, so here's what I'm thinking. If you want to be healthy and you believe all this health food, health snack, health bar stuff is gross, boom, it's a green smoothie. Want to drink it? And now you get one of two reactions, which are more productive than the initial reaction if you just gave someone the glass. One is, they still say no, but they say no to something specific because they understand where you're coming from better. So they're like, I don't know, that kale part sounds gross. It's kind of bitter. No problem. I'll take it out. Or here's some spinach, right? I get to continue to work towards the yes. Or they get why this should exist. They get why 
you need this or they need this. So they say yes and drink it. So the flip is don't share your ideas, at least not to start, share why your ideas should exist right. and the actual right. what comes later. Okay, so here's the next thing. I'm gonna I'm gonna pseudo challenge you. And by the way, I say pseudo challenge you because I don't actually believe what I'm about to say. Um, and that is, there are a lot of, by the way, believe it, a lot of smart people are telling me this. To some degree, everyone's telling me, I gotta be a media company. Everyone, you know, so-and-so bought so-and-so, HubSpot bought the hustle. Some, someone else bought somebody it's like, I need to be a media company, which means I need to produce sure. content. I need to generate reach because owning your audience is better than renting your audience. And if you don't own the entire, you know, blah, 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 blah. What, okay. what's your take on this whole, like, I'm a marketer. I'm working at a mid-sized company. I'm the own, whatever. What, what do I do with that? My dad likes to say every generality is false, including this one. So act like a media company. Some people will take it, run with it and work. It'll work. Some people will take it, run with it and it'll fail. And most people will fall somewhere in between. So if someone says that to me, I'll say, great, that sounds like a really interesting idea. Why? And then they'll say something else. And I'll say, great, that sounds interesting too. Why? So you just have to become the toddler in the backseat, constantly asking why, 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 until they either get so fed up with you that reveals they don't have an actual strategy or an idea what the hell they're talking about, or they're forced to get to the crux of it. So become a media company. That's really interesting. Um, let's break that down for a moment, shall we? Being a media company sounds sexy. Being a media company sounds like I'm going to create really cool content that builds a massive audience. Here's the problem with that. You don't sell ad space. So are we saying build the biggest possible audience? Probably not because you're not monetizing through CPM. So more eyeballs doesn't do crap for your business. You have to ask as a marketer, what's next? We got a ton more. We're acting like a media company, boss. Good news. Record traffic. Fine. What's next? Well, that, we're, we're done. We tell sales. We have all these totals of impressions and they sell it to advertisers. No, we sell software. <laughs> no, absolutely not. That's not our business model. What's next? Well, the traffic has to go. Okay. All right. All right. So, so here's the thing. Here's the thing. This is genius. Ready? Ready for this? The traffic that read the blog, they're going to click on a little link at the bottom to download an ebook. But to download an ebook, they got to give us their email and all kinds of information like their budget, their brand name, all this stuff, their social security number, their mother's maiden name, all this junk, right? So we, so we got a bunch of leads. Great, great. Okay, um, fine. We just wrote an ebook about Pinterest. Our product doesn't sell anything relating to Pinterest. Are these qualified leads? This is actually exactly what happened to me at HubSpot. Is like Pinterest was hot. We wrote about Pinterest. We got a ton of people into the database and they converted at like 0.05%. We're losing the company money by doing that because the effort wasn't worth it. We acted like one hell of a media company, but we were not acting like a great marketing team. We were not helping sales, right? So there's nuance to parse here. And it comes back to what are you trying to sell? Now let's build up from there. And this is spoken as a true creative. It's like, I want to make amazing things in the world and tell amazing stories. I want to be the Anthony Bourdain of business storytelling, right? But in a marketing world, I know this starts with we're selling a product. We're building a business. I think creativity is good for that, but you have to align it from first touch to last, not paint a journey, that's false, but you have to have an actual strategy, not just run around publishing stuff that gets views. So I'm okay if you don't wanna comment on this, but I am curious given your background and given what your focus is, what do you think of the HubSpot purchase of, of the hustle and how do you feel about that fit? How do I feel about that fit? I don't know how it fits, but then again, I didn't look at it. 
And the reason I didn't look at it is because there is a certain type of content that appeals to our baser instincts and making money fast or caring about what did Bitcoin do today or what is Elon Musk saying about anything or what can we learn from Facebook or this guy who has 250,000 followers on Twitter just dropped a 50 tweet thread. I don't think that's actually valuable information to help you go do real meaningful work. I think most content in the business world is designed to help you feel like you're being productive, but actually it's a convenient place to hide. Because if you were actually productive, what you'd be doing instead of caring about what the industry is up to is you would go care about what the customer is up to. You would think about the audience, not, I don't know, trends happening in the world. So I have a take on this, but sure. I'm, I'm going to expand it beyond to um, HubSpot Co- Podcast Network, which, which to me makes a little bit more sense, but it's still kind of out there. Um, what Salesforce is doing, Salesforce has done their whole, you know, this whole Salesforce Plus, mm-hmm. and they're now a streaming, et cetera. Uh, does that fall into the same kind of descriptor? I could, com- I could speak to that. No, no, I could speak to those show networks a lot more in depth. Um, yeah. You know, the reason, I'm, the reason I'm avoiding the HubSpot thing is, A, I'm a... I'm a I understand uh, a shareholder, but B, I just didn't pay close attention to it. The show network thing is more in my, my wheelhouse. The show network part, I think the smartest show network being built in B2B today, especially is from ProfitWell, which is a bootstrap startup that's now at, I think, 120 people or something like that. Um, because ProfitWell is an actual strategy and they've written about it gratuitously. And they actually reported, when that reported, responded to when HubSpot bought the hustle, they said HubSpot bought the hustle, aka ProfitWell's entire media strategy. So I encourage everyone to check out that post because from Patrick Campbell, the CEO, I think it's brilliant. He and I are former Google colleagues. Um, I would also, I would add to that so you can, uh, you don't need to uh, do some, some self-promotion here. I would, I would add the, anybody listening should definitely listen to your podcast with Patrick. Cause I actually took a, I listened to that today and I took quite thank a few you. notes from It went that. up today actually, or yesterday. Yeah, yeah. And it was, he dropped some really, really good bombs and yes. you, you, uh, you summarize them very, very well. Thank you. I, I very much appreciate that. I, we published an episode called uh, Nothing is Boring and You Can Too. Uh, and that was the Patrick Campbell Profit Well episode. So, but the punchline of where I was going was a lot of these companies are doing very sexy sounding things that lack actual audience development and editorial oversight. Um, and so like MailChimp is a prime example where MailChimp is basically doing big brand marketing and that's fine. They, they are a big brand. They got bought by an even bigger brand, but they, they, what I like about MailChimp is they're at least helping all these creators make money because they're licensing or buying a bunch of shows from a bunch of people. But like MailChimp had an amazing initial series called Wi Finders, which was about people looking for Wi-Fi in a city. And they would go to a different city and talk about what's the culture of like cafe work and remote work in this city. Well, they, they could have gone deeper with that audience. And instead, what they chose to do is stop at like one initial handshake with that crowd. And hopefully something good happened on the back end. But they launched something like 15 original shows in two years. I mean, you can't develop audience and community around any of those things. Um, Salesforce Plus, And so that the list is basically MailChimp, Salesforce, ProfitWell, LinkedIn announced today that they have a podcast network, um, Vidyard. Wistia, those two are competitors in the video tech space. They have show networks as well. Um, There's a few more that escape me, but there's a short list of B2B companies with a show network. And I think to date, 
it has been a bloated form of an attractive tactic. What it needs to become is a strategic approach to being an actual brand, like a media brand. I don't mean a media company because that you have a different business model, a different company type, but the brand of Salesforce Plus. What is that brand? What do they stand for? And the, and the one way to look at this is what are the premises of the shows? Because everyone is creating generic interview and success story shows in the business world and hyping them as they're somehow groundbreaking. They're not. Like the best case scenario is you have a celebrity host it, but then I care about the celebrity, not your brand. Because now you've paid production costs for essentially sponsor benefits. So what are the premises of the show? What are all the themes you want to own outright in someone's mind? You're not going to own marketing, but what is the specific angle or belief system? What is underexplored? What is painful for your audience? You can create a show that actually has a developed premise. In other words, IP is the goal, not more content. And right now I'm not seeing IP from any of these brands, save for a few like Wistia and ProfitWell. So my sense is if the strategy is correct, and I don't know that it is, and and and, and in fairness, I haven't dug in, in in super depth either because I'm a firm believer. I try to work to what you know as as the um, alcoholics prayer for you know um, the sobriety prayer. You know, God give me the you know the courage to change the things I can, the patience to leave alone the things that I can't, and the knowledge to know the difference. Like, I can't play that game anyway. Like, if that was the right game to play, I, I'm not in a position to go out and buy one of those. So um, I'll focus on what I can do. But but what I'm seeing as, as everyone's talking about community, which I think is a subset of this, which I'm all for. I'm pro-community. That doesn't mean I think everyone is in a position to start their community. Is the ones who are doing, if, if it's being done right, it's not being done in any type of linear approach. It's, we're going to build this media company that at least is, complementary or has a good overlap to the type of people that would normally be our customers. So in many ways, it's just an advertising strategy, right? That, that if they, you know, by listening to the show, they stay in our orbit. And then when something happens, they go, oh yeah, HubSpot, I've heard of HubSpot. Because by the way, it was funny that you said, I want to be the Anthony Bourdain of, and you know, what's interesting about Anthony Bourdain and from my experience, so you can't answer. I love asking questions like that because no one can answer it. He is either to people, the most famous person in the world. How can everyone not know who Anthony Bourdain is? Or they look at you like you've just made up a foreign language. They have no <laughs> idea who Anthony Bourdain is, which yes. gets right to your point of resonance. If Amen. you know who Anthony Bourdain is, you know who Anthony Bourdain is. Or you saw him once and you were like, maybe you never saw him, right? And and you saw him and you're like, huh? And the thing that I thought was great about him and you know, unfortunately, it's that whole tortured existence of the creator and why he's no longer here. And this is the hard part. I want to get this is what I want to get your your sure. your take from because, man, that that hockey that hockey stick growth. Everyone everyone's focused on the part that shoots the puck. They're not focused on the hockey stick on the nothing 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 nothing. Yep. You know, and and Anthony Bourdain did a lot of things that made no sense. And I and I believe I don't know it well. I haven't studied him well enough. I believe Anthony Bourdain sought out to create the show that he wanted for himself, that if he was going to watch a show, if he was going to do something, I think that's how he built his restaurants. I think that's yes. what he did. And it was basically, and if CNN or whoever loves what I'm doing, then they're welcome to buy my show. And you know what? The day they're not interested in my show, okay, it's it's my show, right? And and I think that's yep. what enabled him to do that. My right. question is, because you've, you've worked for HubSpot, you're doing your own thing, you consult with lots of people. 
how do you how do you stick with it when you know we've been again we've been taught focus on the kpis but but when you're starting on on resonating i think kpis are the wrong thing to focus on because there's not enough time like how do you let me change it what what are the signals that you look for to know sure like how do i know that i'm building a resonant audience and it's slow and steady or I'm speaking in a cave and there's no one there and no one gives a crap. Yes. I need to, I Great. need to job. Awesome. Let's talk about this. So uh, there's two types of metrics. There's metrics you could purchase, you could buy, and there's things that you can only earn. And to understand if you're resonating deeper, if you have a good foundation of an audience that is loyal, that will come back to you, that will take action, or you're getting signal that that is in your future, you can, you should start measuring more things that are only earned. So let's look at some examples. I can buy emails for my newsletter. I shouldn't, by the way, but I could. I can't buy you opening those emails or even better because it's not just about tricking you. Like I'm giving away a million dollars, open this email to find out. I can't buy you responding to that newsletter edition this week, but that is exactly what I should start measuring. I can buy downloads to the podcast. I can't buy episode completions. There are all these signals hidden all over the world. I, you know, I do this as an individual creator. This is not the scale that a giant company operates on, I understand, but I call it getting my two. If I publish something and I get two passionate responses anywhere, doesn't matter. A newsletter is an obvious example because you can just hit reply, right? But sometimes that spills out over Twitter or LinkedIn or wherever. But if I get two passionate or thoughtful replies, not a like, not a retweet, not a reply that says nice, but two engaged individuals who are passionate, that's enough. That's success because one data point is an outlier, two makes a trend. That's all I want. I call it getting my two. Every week when I publish my newsletter on Fridays, I want to get my two. Every episode when we publish on Wednesdays with Unthinkable, moving target, but let's say it's Wednesdays, I want to get my two and I'm done. That's it. So, because that's earned, right? So, but then you can do this more often, measure what's earned, not just purchased. You can purchase a lot of these things that these analytics tools will tell you right away in a chart that you've got. You cannot buy your way into someone declaring they are my favorite. And perhaps some paid media starts it. That's fine. This is a portfolio approach here. We're all adults, mm-hmm. but you are not going to be able to say we are deeply resonant. We have an endemic native audience that loves us and subscribes to us and comes back to us and refers us to their friends without also caring about these things that you can't just like put a pixel and create a chart through. You have to measure what's only earned. All right, Jay, this is the question I've been waiting the entire episode to ask you. Can we see the perfect cast? Yeah, absolutely. So it's, uh, hold on, I'm going to take my, I won't be able to hear you for a moment here. So the perfect cast from a goofy movie. Um, it's also a great dance move. This has been bourbon the entire time. It's a giant Nalgene just full of bourbon just to get me ready. So from a goofy movie, it's, I'm going to walk you through the steps. It's pump, pump, jump, jump, twirl, twirl, cast. All right. So you pump, pump, jump, jump, twirl, twirl, cast. Uh, if you do this at parties, everybody will think you're the absolute coolest person in the room narrator they won't <laughs> see and that's how jay knows he got a completion on a blog post right on his post he now knows that i read it um and you know now if anyone mentions that moment if it's at the end of the episode you did oh, your job you got them oh, to the end there you go there you go um mike any any final question oh uh, no i mean it, I, I well i have tons but they, they, they'll, they'll go too long um I, I love what you just said around measure what's earned not what's bought 
because that is, uh, you know, that's, that, and, I, that's, and, and I actually like the nuance on it of measure what you can only earn, not what can be bought. So even if it's right. not bought, right, if it could be bought, it doesn't have the same resonance as the, like that too. By the way, Hannah, I hope you wrote that down. The get my two, um, that's a change we're going to make in our um, global nurture is what do we have to do to get two people to respond to it, not just to read it? I, I, I mean, that that's a huge takeaway for me. Yeah. And like, just adding to that, I mean, that's kind of always been our thought, like even with our newsletter is the reason why we keep investing in it and keep writing it is because we do, people actually respond to the newsletter and they're like, this was a great newsletter, Mike, or Doug pointed out before you came on Jay that, Hey Mike, you, you messed up this thing in your newsletter. Well, that's good to hear because Doug actually at least that's read what, through part of it. Um, right. That's what we're going to do. I'm going to have a new prize because everyone knows that my brand is there's somewhere that there's a typo. Right. It's always different. <laughs> there's somewhere. Right. And and I have people who, who respond and, hey, I'm sorry for saying this, but I'm like, no, that's great. You right. save me time. And, I, and, and, you know, so that's what we're going to do. We're going to start having a contest that anyone who points out the typo gets, you know, uh, um, well, just let yeah, me read the pre-virgin, Doug, because I usually always do. Because my yeah, my see that's what Mike Mike Mike's Mike's my proofreader. Right. Um, Jay, this is great. Any parting thoughts? No, this is fun. Uh, I so appreciate the time, and also no one has asked me to perform the perfect cast before. So some people will be wildly confused. Others are going to be very very into this. Uh, everybody, however, should know what an original question that was. <laughs> I've never been asked that before. I can say with confidence. So well, well I'm done. Glad that's our goal. Jobs. And, okay, uh, let what, everyone know how they can how they can find you. Uh, I'm on the internet, and maybe you've heard of it. Uh, it's com. All my projects are there. And if you're listening to this or watching this, Unthinkable is the name of the podcast. The more important thing is if you find any energy from this conversation, don't go hide among my projects. Draft off the energy you're getting from Mike and, and Doug in this great show and go make something. Go make something better than what you made last Amen. week. That's that's it. That is this the call to actions. Go make mm-hmm. something. I, I want to make a call to action as well, because again, it, it, this has been one of those weeks where obviously I want to do some research, listen to your podcast and try to understand kind of the way that you think. And it's very clear that you're not a self-promoter, which one, I absolutely love, but two, for anybody listening, just absolutely go listen to a few episodes of Unthinkable and you will uncover some just amazing amazing nuggets so hats off to you for doing it man like, thank you i appreciate it. it's a labor I, I really of love away with some great stuff thank you so much it's a labor of love and there's a ton of both so thank you and and the books break the machine right break the wheel break the wheel sorry break the wheel jay thanks this was awesome um easily lived up to what what i hope this would be um and uh, i'm sure we'll talk again soon you're too kind thank you thanks jay